Hello, my name is Michael D'Aloya, and you're listening to the Startup Lakewood Podcast. This podcast explores the trials and tribulations of Rust Belt entrepreneurs who are taking the risks and defying expectations in the great city of Lakewood, Ohio. Entrepreneurs enjoy this open, liberal, individualistic, yet supportive city. While we're not as large as our next-door neighbor, Cleveland, it doesn't mean our entrepreneurs don't have dynamic stories. They do, and this podcast captures the great giving spirit of our citizens. Today, we talk with Tom Frazier, the leader. There are very few people in the city of Lakewood who carry the mantle of leader like Tom. He's homegrown, went to St. Ed's High School, and has built up First Federal of Lakewood as a national powerhouse in the mutual bank category. Tom loves his hometown and has been working diligently with entrepreneurs to build up the commercial sector in Lakewood, Ohio. He's a great family man, and I have to note, he's also my brother-in-law. So let's listen in to his story. Tom, I want to thank you for coming in the studio today and answering a few questions for the Startup Lakewood podcast. Let me get this straight. You were raised in Lakewood, Ohio? Uh, I was. The majority of my childhood was spent in Lakewood, almost all my formative years. Some of those years were also spent in the Detroit Shoreway neighborhood. And then when I graduated from college, I lived uh, briefly in Rocky River. But of my 48 years, safe to say 38 of the 48 have been here in Lakewood. I'm curious, what were some of your more cherished memories during your youth in Lakewood, Ohio? was involved riding my bicycle everywhere, walking everywhere, the same reasons today that people want to be in Lakewood. The fact it's a walking community, it has everything that you need, every attribute, every service you could want, every restaurant. But as a child, it also had every pool, every park, every sporting event you could go to, every running through backyards, making our own trails as if we were in the forest. We would cut through backyards and do things like that. So a great, great place to live, not only as a child, but also to raise a family today. How does it feel to then become the CEO of Lakewood's largest bank and one of the largest mutual banks in the United States? Having grown up here, it has to just have been a fantastic feeling. Well, it'd be the banking equivalent of coming back to pitch for your home baseball team. And so when the opportunity came up 10 years ago, that was part of the pitch of my predecessor, Gary Fix, who said, you're pitching for the Yankees today, the equivalent of pitching for a big bank, and you have a chance to come home and maybe be the number one starter for for your home team. I asked if that came with the uh, home team discount. Of course it did, but the work-life balance far offsets that. And so it's a real privilege and honor to, to be the CEO of a growing institution, a mutual institution, one that's owned by the community. So being a mutual we have no shareholders. We're owned only by by our customers and by extension, the community. So having been raised here, having had a bank account at First Federal when I was 14, and then today being the CEO of one of the more progressive and faster growing mutuals in the country is a true honor. I was hopeful that uh, you could be able to illuminate for our listeners your career path to becoming CEO of First Federal. Well, I graduated from uh, John Carroll with a master's in history with an intention to go on and get my PhD in history. But at the same time, I was doing accounting work, accounting accountancy history work for a professor at John Carroll in another, in another department. That uh, led to my getting a position with Arthur Anderson, Anderson Consulting, where I worked for a few years. I had traveled around quite a bit performing IT consulting functions. 
And then about uh, 1997, 98, I was driving, flying back from the West Coast and bumped into a banker who suggested perhaps I should think about a career in banking. At that point, I went and worked for National City Bank. That led to my joining in with a couple of other people to start a bank as a subsidiary of Westfield Insurance in 2000. And, uh, and then in 2007, hence the the chance to come and pitch for the home team and come back uh, to Lakewood here to work in my hometown. So a little bit of a of a convoluted path to being the CEO of a mutual bank, but one that uh, started with the intention of being a historian. And now I'm now I'm uh, the CEO of our my hometown bank. Yeah, I know your love of history because we talk about history all the time when when we get together. But you've had a unique purview. I'm curious then if you could provide some comparisons of Lakewood as you're growing up to what Lakewood is today. Well, Lakewood today, the thing that strikes me is Lakewood's significantly younger than it was when I was growing up. So although I was a child and everything seems when you're a child, everything seems bigger and the world around you seems large and and uh, hard to access, uh, I remember Lakewood being full of seniors at the time and having great senior services and the Barton Center and Westerly, which we support with great enthusiasm. I remember that being a retirement destination. I remember uh, great senior services. What's different now, it seems like there's more families here and more families wanting to move in to Lakewood. So our population obviously has fallen from its height in 1970, 1975 uh, to where it is today. But it seems like it's younger and we have more young professionals working here. And I'm optimistic that's going to lead to more families being here and and, uh, keeping our population robust. I also remember the housing stock in fear of building inspectors in (laughs) 1975 or 78. I think it was maybe a threat that my parents used to kind of keep our rooms clean. But I remember great city services and great attention to keeping a vibrant housing stock. And that's consistent today as well. What's different, I think we have more restaurants and I think we have more cultural diversity in terms of institutions than we had when I was a child. And certainly we have a more diverse population as well, which is great. It's a great place to raise your own children in. The one thing that's a constant in Lakewood that I love about our city is I remember in the 70s and uh, 80s, we had immigrants coming in, settling here from the Middle East. And then in the late 80s, we had immigrants coming from Southeastern Europe, from some of the areas that were having strife and people settling here. And what's really neat today is we see families coming in from Bhutan and Nepal and West Africa. And it continues the cycle of Lakewood being a welcoming community where people get established, whether you're a 25-year-old U.S.-born citizen or you're a family coming in from another part of the world, that this Lakewood's a stepping stone where a lot of people set themselves up for success later in life or they stay here and become homeowners, but along the way, they contribute in a different way to our community. And I'm really pleased to see some things in the east end of Lakewood that are welcoming these new families in. So if you go up to Madison Park, for example, you'll see new futsal courts put in. And that's a way for our city to engage and interact through soccer and soccer-related sports and taking the assets we have and repurposing them to do that. So it's a great thing, and I think some of the things that are happening with our Lakewood schools to that end as well, are uh, a real testament to how inclusive uh, we desire to be as a city. You speak of immigration and of a younger demographic in the city of Lakewood, which historically tends to support entrepreneurship. These are groups that are more attuned to being an entrepreneur. So how can a bank like a, a First Federal 
support the entrepreneurial community? Well, we started in the uh, high schools with a real emphasis on financial literacy and financial inclusion. We start with partnerships uh, to make sure that community groups are providing funding and housing assistance and readiness to purchase a home. So knowing that a lot of immigrant groups tend to want to support each other in community, that is they'll work, want to work near where they live. We think it's important to have housing options. So we have uh, many first-time homebuyer programs that will work with different uh, nonprofit groups to help people save, be educated, and be ready to own a home. We've also started a couple of small business uh, streamlined um, loan products where you can go on uh, the internet or on a handheld device and with five or six data fields be pre-qualified for a loan and uh, make that process uh, very easy and not intimidating and quick and fair. Having those programs available and, re- and working through the community and with the community is a way to, to uh, reach out to entrepreneurs and to reach out to our, our new residents as well who, frankly, have an entrepreneurship bent. Uh, many of them save. Many of our new residents are fierce savers. They want to save and be ready and provide for their families and children. And uh, it's, our, it's our role and obligation and desire to help them do that. A success for any city or any community or multi-points. It's not just one thing. How would you weigh entrepreneurship into the Lakewood success equation? Well, I look at uh, beat cycles across the street from where we are today. And the fact that they've been here, gosh, I've probably lost track of how many years. But I know the difference they make um, in the fabric of our community and being the hometown bike shop where the kids take their bikes there. It supports this desire to have movement, be part of a main street like Detroit, supports a lot of the cycling initiatives we have, and it's great watching a local company like that start from scratch and expand and take on the next storefront and watch them expand their inventory. Seeing that locally and how it connects, it fits into this concept of an active, vibrant central business district with a sole proprietor running the shop and doing it all and seeing that success. In a similar way, down the street, Erie Design, same thing, the sign company, they provide niche services and communications and signage where a Kinko's just doesn't cut it or a FedEx Kinko's to go to, or maybe for other small businesses. So they're supporting other small businesses and non-for-profits as well. So seeing those points of connection in the community work, to me, those are really positive signs of entrepreneurship in action. One of the things I admire about you is that despite the fact you're a CEO of this very large mutual bank, you act and carry yourself like an entrepreneur. How do you carry and imbue the entrepreneurial spirit back into the bank? It's a really important and timely question. So the two biggest existential threats to banking today, and it's the threats to all small businesses, are the disruption caused by technology The second one we have is the relevance of the mutual charter and people understanding that mutuals are still relevant. That issue, existential issue, we work on through our trade groups, but it's not relevant to this question about technology. But all banks, all small businesses are facing threats and disruption, many of them good. The outcomes are good for consumer access to better banking products, to better services, and what what have you. That said, if we don't have a culture of entrepreneurship and experimenting and wanting to take risks with technology, uh, we won't be around. We'll become less relevant. So what we need to do as a a CEO with 
of a mutual bank is we need to have a, an employee base that's willing to take risks with IT, with technology, and with fintech. And so, for example, we've worked with another mutual bank to create a small business lending app and to start another company. We've invested in the company. So 25-year-old entrepreneurs see us as uh, relevant and modern, able to respond to their needs and be able to get their funding within a day as opposed to having to wait four or five or six weeks. We also have to be smart about our role in the payment systems. So as people settle money back and forth, tools like Venmo are great, but they're great until you need to solve a problem or have consumer protection or resolve an issue about how $10,000 might have been transferred. We think the banking system is probably better situated, better regulated, has more safety nets to facilitate transactions over time. But we have to have technology that plugs into the expectations and desires of consumers today, especially younger consumers, so the people who are living living in Lakewood. Both you and I are, are residents of Lakewood, Ohio, and I think both of us are great advocates for the city. But if you were to talk to an entrepreneur, what would you, what advice would you give them on how to start a business in Lakewood, Ohio? And what are some of the benefits of starting it in Lakewood? Well, in Lakewood, you have within, depending on your business, but let's say it's a consumer or customer-facing business or a retail business, you have a dense market with 50,000 people within three miles of you. Uh, so you have a, a great market chance to succeed and to try ideas. But let's say it's a IT entrepreneur. It's a, a services entrepreneur that's not dependent upon a local base. It's still great here because there's support in terms of uh, organizations you're associated with, Michael, who help entrepreneurs. There's uh, the hometown bank that can provide down-to-earth, common-sense support on getting your finances ready to be bankable, to get a bank loan or to get venture capital funding. We have an infrastructure in terms of fiber and others that can support the needs of a modern business. And we have an economic development arm of city government that's supportive of businesses wanting to start here and reaches out. And we also have a really welcome and opening opening a downtown business alliance called Lakewood Alive that works with new companies coming in and promotes and celebrates uh, the work that they do. So also you can work above your storefront um, startup and have an apartment above or a nice home on a street a half mile from your office. So it's a real place uh, where you can both work and live uh, with really uh, strong government support and institutional support from other businesses and other other community groups. Great. We're wrapping up. I have two more questions. They're pretty succinct. I think both of us can cast a critical eye on what's in front of us. So I'm curious for your opinion on what Lakewood would need to improve it's got a great growing base. What are some things it could do to improve its standing? Well, I'm a believer that uh, first-ring suburbs like Lakewood, suburbs that were built between 1890 and 1920, 1930, the former streetcar suburbs, as they were known, the most important thing is continued reinvestment in our housing stock. That doesn't mean new housing necessarily, but it means being um, on top of challenges that homes built in 1920, 1930, 1940 are going to have and helping our homeowners uh, adjust to that. I think we do a good job as a community of monitoring external facing uh, code matters, and that's good, but making sure we are setting up programs and helping people acquire homes in our community. As you well know, today we have a limited supply of available for sale homes. That's a good problem to have, 
so how do we keep the older stock relevant? And how do we uh, encourage, continue to encourage uh, new residents to come in as part of it? So that, that renewal process, I think, is critical. I think groups like Lakewood Alive, their housing outreach uh, is attuned to that. I think a lot of the community groups are as well. But at the same time, we're welcoming in fam- families. We have diversity in our community and age and, and all kind of economic ranges. So we've got to make sure we're helping renters and we're helping uh, those of a more modest means uh, take care of their properties as well. That's number one. So it starts with housing and, and, and attracting people. And then secondly, making sure we have a plan for all of our storefront developments. So as Amazon takes over the world, so to speak, and others, what can we do to encourage small businesses and others to buy local and continue to access local services, uh, to ac- access local, local tailors instead of using the online tailor? Things that keep these small entrepreneurs and sole proprietors in business, having a really concerted effort to include them in economic development is something I think we can step up our game on a bit and and having that sense of social awareness and fabric that if you go to the local haberdasher, not that we have many of those anymore, but so to speak, if you go there, you're helping keep our our, uh, community vibrant, our storefronts occupied, and you're contributing back into into the local community. The final question, I think, is one that our listeners are going to be keenly interested in your reply, and that is, what is your favorite Premier League team? Oh, without question. <laughs> I knew you'd have a quick answer here. <laughs> That's the easiest question. Uh, it's Everton. So the School of Science, the Toffees, as they're known. It's the it's the blue-collar equivalent of Lakewood. So it is uh, everyone in Liverpool loves Liverpool. Everyone in uh, the little borough of Anfield and Everton supports Everton as well. And in many ways, uh, when you walk the streets, I was fortunate enough to go there with my children last year on a soccer trip. And when you walk the streets of the neighborhood around Everton, it seems like you're walking in Lakewood with row housing, working class area, storefronts occupied, and a real passion for the, the Everton fans have a real passion for their local community. So that's the connection. Tom Frazier, thank you for your time. Great. Thanks, Michael. I want to thank all the great people involved in making this podcast, especially our guests who took the time to join us for this interview. Executive producer, me, myself, and I, producer Bridget Coyne, audio engineers Eric Coltnow and Dave Douglas. Startup Lakewood is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Subscribe to Startup Lakewood on your favorite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcast.com. And for your entrepreneurs out there, keep optimistic. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.